I don't like people being taken advantage of. I take all their money, take all their possessions, take their cars. I've bought plenty of drugs. I've walked into houses and then you open up a kitchen drawer it's just full of loose cocaine. Kids are in the house. He's in prison now for his third wife. They're mixing it in a bathtub with a spoon. Then it does come across the southern border, specifically in Livingston County. Well, meth is on the rise. A 350,000 potential overrun on the management of the There's current sheriff's no transparency whatsoever. There's it's no accountability whatsoever. That there needs to be a major change in that department. There's a new sheriff in town, and his name is Tom Vagaski. At least, that's what he's hoping for as he begins his run for the sheriff of Livingston County. So, Tom, thanks so much for coming on today. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Paul. Yeah, my pleasure. So, as we all know, bad news sells. What are the primary issues going on in Livingston County pertaining to law enforcement that have inspired you to run for sheriff in the first place? So... I was in charge, I started out as an undercover agent with the state police about eight years ago. And what that is, is we dress in plain clothes, we dress or we drive regular cars, we don't have lights and sirens on them normally. And we buy drugs undercover, either through a confidential source, which we call CS, or we do it as a UC, an undercover officer, directly to the drug dealer. Okay, well, tell me more about that. You you are an undercover cop and you go into the drug scene and you literally buy drugs and you, what, you just to get information on where these drug gangs operate, how they operate in order so you can bust them, I guess? So the state police and task force specifically are higher end drug operations. We don't use or we don't arrest dealers per se, or excuse me, we don't arrest suspects or possession people per se. We turn them into CSs, confidential sources, and they introduce us to their dealers. And then we work our way up every level of command in a drug operation. Okay. Well, that is extremely fascinating. I had no idea that's how that worked. Okay. So the task force, known as Task Force 6, which uh, encompasses or has jurisdiction in um, not Livingston County anymore, but they once did in Livingston County, McLean County, and DeWitt County. And And Pyatt. And what was it? Pyatt County. Okay. What was your position exactly in that task force? It's a small task force responsible for getting a lot of juicy information on what's going on in the drug scene in the area, right? Correct. Um, so it's the three counties. Um, it consisted of or consists of Pyatt County Sheriff's Department, DeWitt County Sheriff's Department, Clinton Police Department, uh, McLean County Sheriff's Department, ISU Police for the college, mm. and then the state police. And then just recently, right before I retired, uh, normal PD uh, joined to back into it. Okay. So, again, each one provides an officer, usually. The state police run it. Um, I, I started out as an agent in Task Force 6, then I got promoted to the field sergeant in Task Force 6, and then eventually I was promoted to the commander of Task Force 6. Dang, that's important stuff, man. Let me understand this correctly. You, on Task Force 6, would act as you're, as though you're buying drugs. You'd buy your drugs from someone, and if you found out people were buying drugs from this person, you wouldn't necessarily uh, arrest them or anything like that. You'd... Not right away, no. Okay, got it. You're just concerned with where the drugs are coming from, who the main dealers are, right? Yes. The, the purpose of the task force is to get the higher level dealers. Okay. The people that are bringing it from Chicago or Champaign or air, bigger city areas like that where it's more prevalent. Um, drug dealers, specifically in Bloomington, aren't 
like drug dealers in Chicago. They're not going to have kilos and kilos of cocaine sitting in their garage waiting for people to come buy it. They're going to go to Chicago or their Chicago source is going to bring it down to Bloomington, either half a kilo or a kilo at a time, depending on how long it takes them to sell it. And then we work to get those people that are in this area. What are the primary kinds of drugs that you see being trafficked? Well, when I started out, it used to be marijuana, of course, cocaine. Uh, Meth was prevalent for a little while back when they were doing, we called them one pots, and there were small labs that you heard about back when meth uh, reprised. But since cannabis is legal now in Illinois, and specifically the cartels themselves have lost, I would assume, billions of dollars from their cannabis trafficking, they started creating huge meth labs in Mexico, and meth has dropped in price probably about 50%, 60% at this point. So meth is on the rise. They're not even making labs in Illinois because it's not worth it to them anymore. It's cheaper just to buy it from the Mexico connections. Wow. Uh, What about heroin? I've always heard that the majority of heroin that's in Illinois comes from over the southern border. Is that true or is that propaganda? (laughs) Yes, that's true too. Uh, Heroin's always been a rise and fall type of drug. It's on the rise again now, specifically in Livingston County. It's always been a problem. The 25 years I've worked in that county Heroin has been an issue. And Hmm. heroin nowadays is more potent because of fentanyl that they mix with it. And that's where your OGs are coming from is the fentanyl that's being mixed with it. Did you ever see anything extreme during your time in Task Force 6? I mean, I've seen, I've walked into houses when we've done search warrants where it's just a mess. And then you open up, a say, a kitchen drawer like you normally pull out silverware and it's just full of loose cocaine. Hmm. and kids are in the house and stuff like that. So it's just, it's a mess nowadays. So you've had to enter homes that, uh, you know, with a search warrant or whatever, however you do that, and it's just like normal families living there, but there's just drugs laying around? That can happen that way, yes. Okay. Have you ever gotten into like a a fight or anything when you're trying to arrest a, a suspect or something? So with the search warrants we do, most of them are knock search warrants, knock and announce is what we call it. Uh, There also is no knock search warrants that you have to get a special approval for. Um, We didn't do a lot of no knocks. If it got to that point, and the reason you do no knocks is because there's known weapons in the house or Mm -hmm. there's known multiple targets with weapons in the house. And what the state police would do is we have a full-time SWAT team, for lack of a better way to call it, and we would have them come and do those kind of warrants for us. But on the day-to-day search warrants, we would have our inspectors do it. We trained um, together as far as doing in what we call like a shoot house. Uh, we'd find abandoned farmhouses, and we'd talk to the farmers, and we they'd let us go in and use simunitions. It's like a high-modified paintball gun, and mm. we'd practice clearing rooms and stuff like that. But, yeah, we have walked in with, I would say, five or six targets, weapons in the house that we didn't know about. Um, just recently before I retired, I remember we walked into one and there was two guns loaded, fully loaded underneath the seat of where the guy was sitting. Dang. So how big of an issue are narcotics in Livingston County exactly? You said that they were kind of on the rise and narcotics, I think could be of benefit to the listeners to define what that is. That's like morphine, heroin, uh, mind altering, pain reducing, potentially fatal drugs that are often sold on the street to achieve a high, correct? Correct. So there's, in Illinois, there's three schedules, or four schedules, excuse me. Schedule one is like cocaine, heroin, um, 
methamphetamines, stuff, extreme stuff, extreme stuff that really doesn't have any medical purpose. Um, schedule two is usually like your prescription narcotics, your morphine that's legal, mm-hmm. and they uh, we it's called a pill diversion program. Uh, we do we used to do farm, doctors who just prescribe pain medicine medication to anybody for no reason just because they said it had back pain, mm-hmm. and then people would sell those prescriptions or use them themselves if they were the addict for that. So we dealt more with the illegal narcotic side, which is cocaine, heroin, methamphetamine, cannabis, if it's, you know, uh, not the legal stuff that Illinois has now, Mm -hmm. Um, anything like that. What's probably the most dangerous one, just out of curiosity? It would be fentanyl, the street fentanyl coming across. And it does come across the southern border in kilos, and then they mix that. So fentanyl has a legal use for cancer patients. They have fentanyl patches, and they're like, 10 milligram patches that they'll put on a cancer patient for pain and it's a time release patch we've come into occasions where we were buying those patches like kids would steal them from their cancer patient grandmother or grandfather oh or if the grandmother and grandfather died those prescription bottles are in their house still and they would, they would just basically take them and sell them uh i've come across an 18 year old one time and he was chewing on one of those patches to get the high off of the fentanyl and what's what's he acting like? What kind of high does that? It's the bring same. About? As, it's basically the same as heroin. It's okay. Just uh, kind of euphoric. Mm-hmm. Uh, pinpoint eyes. You can tell their pupils are always pinpointed, no matter what. So that means like they're they're not dilated. They're shrunk. They're down. shrunk down to little pinpoints when you're on heroin. Okay. Even in a like a dark room, they'd still be a little pinpoint. Is that what they call uh, when you're twacked out or something like that? I don't know. I've terms. never heard that term. Twacked, yeah, I don't but... know what I'm talking about at all. Forget <laughs> that I said that. But okay, so you said it's a problem in the area. Yes. Uh, it's on the rise. Why do you think it's on the rise? And just how much, how, how are you able to tell that it's on the rise? O- ODs are down. Deaths are down because of Narcan. Officers have Narcan now, usually three or four doses on them at all times. When and that's like a life-saving thing. So when they come across someone who did OD... What they you, they inject them and it's it saves a little them? thing and you squirt it into their nose and it inhibits for a short period of time the effects of heroin or fentanyl getting to the brain where they OD and black. So fentanyl and heroin absorb through the brain membrane in the brain and it'll if you OD on it you're shutting down your automatic respiratory system. So basically your body just shuts down the respiratory system and that's why you die. So Narcan temporarily blocks that membrane. To the, you can get them to the hospital, and you can you can you can't OD on it is what they tell us, but you can give them more than one dose. So if they go say you got twenty minute ride to the hospital, you can give them more than one dose, and it prevents the absorption of the drug. Okay, golly, that's fascinating. And you know what? I'm not surprised. I'm going to ask you again why why you say it's on the rise. What reasons it's on the rise? things like that. But I've had two people on the show who have had close family members. I'm talking a mom and an uncle, both in the same house, uh, who OD'd on heroin. That's a lot of people that I know personally that have OD'd on heroin. So it must be relatively common. And do you think that people are ODing more, but just dying less? Correct. I believe that because of the ODs are up themselves, but the deaths from the ODs are down because of Narcan. Okay. That's why I believe it's on the rise. And the reason the ODs are up is because of fentanyl being mixed in with heroin. They think they're just getting heroin. And if you go to a regular drug dealer in Chicago and they're mixing a kilo of heroin with the additives that they add, like, say, baby formula, 
they'll powder baby formula, they'll mix it. So they'll make a kilo into a kilo and a half or two kilos. That way they can sell more and make more money. They're mixing it with fentanyl and they're mixing it. They're not having professional mixers like in a pharmacy. They're mixing it in a bathtub with a spoon or a big bowl. So if you're not mixing it properly, more than one grain of pure fentanyl can kill you per se so if you take a dose of heroin and you think you're just getting heroin but it's not mixed properly and there's three or four grains of actual fentanyl in there and you take it you're more than likely going to od what do they call these places uh is there a technical term that you call the places that they operate their drug house out of or whatever like you know where they're mixing the drugs in the bathtub what's the name of that type of place so those kind of houses are called stash houses if they don't live there so okay. they keep their drugs in somewhere other location, and then they, when they need to go sell them, they'll drive over, go to the stash house, pick up what they need, and then go out. Hopefully, when they do have houses like that, and some do, some don't, just depends on how big of a dealer they are, we'll surveil them. That's why Task Force 6 is a long-term. We'll watch, we'll buy from them two or three times, sometimes more, depending on how big we think they are. And then we'll surveil them, why they're, we're not buying drugs, just to see where they go, what they're doing and stuff like that. Did you ever have to be the person that buys the drugs? Yes, I've bought plenty of drugs. <laughs> okay, that sounds that's funny to say. <laughs> yeah, Your next sheriff, everybody. <laughs> just yeah. No, 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 but that's that's actually very important, and I'm impressed by the, it, like, that's very smart. I didn't know that this went on in, uh, in what you do in law enforcement. You always think mm-hmm. law enforcement people are kind of, you know, you think of police officers, a lot of people think they're clueless, out of touch. Uh, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know how actually to infiltrate the drug scene, but it's obviously not the case. I'm just curious, when you did buy drugs, did you have to like act a certain way or anything? I know that you dressed a certain way, drove a certain car, but did you put on an act when you were buying the drugs? So when you become an, a narc, is what we our technical term is we called, is state. that wait, wait is that so narcs are people that tell on drug dealers and stuff are they called narcs because of like narcotic narcotics tash? yeah it's a short term Get for an narcs. education here okay so we provide as the state police would provide confidential IDs to our inspectors inspectors are not state police employees but they're say the sheriff's department provides an employee to us we do a background check on them state police background check and if it don't pass they don't come in and we look all the way through financials, we look through their back in college if they did drugs. I mean, it goes far back because we don't want. There's potentially there's a lot of cash that you could have access to, and obviously a lot of drugs. And we are very, I I hate to say this, but we are very anal when it comes to making sure we got the best of the best hmm. nowadays. Because I'm sure there's been problems where there's been thefts, and there's always bad people in every profession. Absolutely. So with the access to drugs and money that task forces have, we want the best of the best, and we we make sure they have pretty clean records before we ever let them. And then we'll issue state police credentials for them. So their their liability insurance comes to the state police. Everything is controlled by the state police as far as that goes. So if something does go wrong and that person gets sued, the state police and the attorney general's office would cover them as, far as, as long as they're within the law, I should say. Explain to me how the task force, the narcotics task force that you were a part of, is funded, at least largely in part, because I think that's very interesting. So back in the 80s, Illinois passed the asset forfeiture laws, and the best way to destroy a drug trafficking uh, gang or whatever is to take all their money, take all their possessions, take their cars, 
And then even if they go to jail for three years and they come back out, they don't have any of that. So they got to start from scratch. And it's hard to start from scratch and become a, a whole operation again. So Illinois designed this law that if you're trafficking narcotics and cannabis back in the day, anything you bought and we can prove you bought with that drug money that you surveilled or you accumulated, cars, houses, um, retirement accounts. I have a uh, seized retirement accounts. Hmm. We get to take, it goes through a civil process called asset forfeiture. A judge can hear it. And as long as he deems that per, that it's drug money bought this, it goes to the state police. So what the state police do is they, for everybody in the state, every organization has to go through this now. They run the program. They get, I believe it's 12.5% off of the off the proceeds. And then the attorney's office from where it comes from, they get 12.5%. And then 65% goes back to the asset or the task force, let's say, if it's task force six. So basically, if we seize $100,000 at Task Force 6, we get six, eventually, if the court says we did it right the right way, we get 65000 back. Mm-hmm. And that's how we fund it. You can safely say that the vast majority of your funding for Task Force 6 comes from money that you've seized from drug dealers that you've busted. Correct. Money, vehicles we've auctioned off once we seize them, houses if we auction them off. Uh, obviously, the retirement count, we just got the cash out of that. We, we get search warrants and seizure warrants for them. And then the money's held within the state police account, or excuse me, the Task Force 6 asset forfeiture account. It's solely to hold money until court process is done. And I've had to cut checks back to drug dealers because whether it's a technical problem or we didn't have enough, the judge felt we didn't have enough to seize the money, we cut the money back to them. That has to be a weird feeling to give money to the to the dealers. Well, one thing about the police and task forces, you got to stay. We we stay within the law. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. That's good. So, you've actually been a part of multiple different specialty forces. Is that correct? Like some that have investigated homicides, sexual assaults, public corruption cases, and financial crimes. Is that right? Correct. Before I was in the task force, I was up in the Joliet office. And we back then we called it general criminal, which is basically everything except drugs. And then I was also on a Will Grundy task force, major crimes task force, and a Kendall County major crimes task force. And those were designed for like homicides and and mass uh, sex assaults that are violent mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And instead of like any task force, instead of putting all your uh, funds and expending all your funds from one small department, smaller department that can't afford to do a major case like that. Everybody contributes somebody when they get called out and then everybody just kind of pays for it, works the case. And then once the case is done, they go back to their regular agency. In all of your task force experience in the narcotics and all the stuff you just talked about, what's maybe the most extreme story or run in or intense uh, experience you've had in that line of work? When I first started out as an investigator, I my first case, and I was one of probably 75 agents, was Drew Peterson. Drew that, Peterson. Why does that name ring a bell? Last year, a young Illinois woman named Stacy Peterson went missing. The case quickly drew national attention when her husband, Drew Peterson, a police officer, became a suspect. Last October, residents of Bolingbrook, Illinois, searched in vain for 23-year-old Stacy Peterson, the wife of police sergeant Drew Peterson, when the mother of two vanished. Some in the community voiced their suspicions that Peterson was involved. She uh, did say to many of us, not just me in confidence, but many of us, that if anything happened to her, it was not an accident, he killed her. 
Drew Peterson steadfastly maintained that Stacy, his fourth wife, ran off, but police doubted his story. I would say that right now, uh, Drew Peterson has gone from a person of interest to clearly being a suspect. And having this guy... In May, Peterson took a lie detector test at the request of author Derek Armstrong. Have you ever cheated on your... The results, published no. in a new book, Drew Peterson Exposed, reveal Peterson showed deception on three occasions when asked about Stacy's disappearance. Peterson was deceptive when asked about the last time he saw Stacy if he knows her whereabouts, and about a phone call from Stacy saying she was leaving him. And investigators are taking another look at the death of Peterson's third wife, Kathleen Savio. Savio was found dead in a bathtub in the couple's home in 2004. Her death, first ruled an accident, was recently ruled a homicide after her body was exhumed. His wife, Stacy Peterson, was missing, and his third wife before that was uh, killed, or... They ruled it as an accident at first, but he's in prison now for his third wife's death, Kathleen, Sav Kathleen Savio. Okay. So he was a... a and it, he was a Bowling Book police officer at the time. Okay. So he was a a serial murderer, I guess, right? Uh, he was convicted of Kathleen Savio. So I'm not going to say serial. Oh, okay. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> so it's not... Is it believed that he did kill... Uh his fourth wife was Stacy. She's still missing. Okay, I got it. Wow, interesting. Why was that such a such an extreme case for you? Um, you're probably a little bit young for it because it was in 07, but mm -hmm. it was a media blitz for months. And okay. we it was just a, a mess when it comes to the media. I was camped outside his house, just like uh, the Kyle Rittenhouse trial almost. Mm -hmm. And it was just a media fiasco. And I was a new agent then. I really... You know, I was learning the investigation side of the aspects of it, and it was just, it just always will stick in my mind of the millions of dollars that state police spent on that case and the new, the number of agents that they contributed for up to six months, I believe it was, before it finally scaled back down to just that office. Hmm. I called myself a junior agent back then. I really didn't do a whole lot with the case, but the case just really taught me a lot of how to organize and how to interview people. I did a lot of sub-interviews of people that weren't directly related to the missing stuff like that because as a new agent they're not going to put you on interviewing drew peterson right so explain to me so i can understand as well as the audience what's the difference between say the fairbury police local police municipalities and the sheriff's office so it's just jurisdiction is what it is so the state police themselves cover the entire state we can go in any county we can go in any city we have jurisdiction everywhere within the state of illinois the county sheriff's deputies have jurisdiction within the county they work. Um, can they do police work outside of the county? Yes, in an emergency basis type stuff. Um, forcible felonies going. Uh, they see something that they any citizen could arrest for, basically as a citizen arrest, or if life endangered life outside of their jurisdiction. And then the city itself has the city jurisdiction, and they're responsible to serve the people of their jurisdiction. Okay, so it goes... City police, Fairbury police, then it goes uh, county police are the sheriff's office police, and then the state police, of course the state police, and then the federal police for the whole country is like the FBI and stuff. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. What is the primary role of the sheriff then? Because you're running for the position of sheriff. What, what will you be doing? So the primary duties of the sheriff is to serve the citizens of the county. So I would be serving or hope to serve the Livingston County Sheriff's residents, or excuse me. Livingston County residents. Um, 
So Pontiac Police, Fairbury Police, as you mentioned, and Dwight Police all have their own police forces within their city or village. Um, Chatsworth has uh, one city police officer, and I believe they're trying to get a second one. So the re- the county, the rest of those villages and towns that don't have a full-time police force or even a part-time police force, that's who the sheriff's departments should be serving primarily. And I'm not saying they can't go into Pontiac or Fairbury and assist and do that, but the people that don't have a full-time police force, that's where the sheriff's department should be concentrating their efforts. Okay, yeah, that makes sense because they don't have any police force of their own. That's where you should be stepping in. But Correct. as a sheriff, do you also manage, um, well, let's see here. Sure, you're going to be the Livingston County Sheriff. Do you have any part or any say in what Fairbury does since Fairbury is in Livingston County? Like, will the, will the Fairbury Police Department listen to you for anything? Um, In a perfect world, it's uh, helping back and forth mm-hmm. in a perfect world. Are, are there going to be some issues that, the uh, say, a city chief doesn't agree with the sheriff? Yes, there is. There's going to be issues that the sheriff doesn't agree with the city chief. That's just... But in a perfect world, the sheriff is the head law enforcement officer in the county and, and the state's attorney, of course. And, but, and it, it should be a cooperative effort. So as a task force, there should be a cooperative effort between all police departments in there. Otherwise, you could be stepping on each other's toes, and we call it deconfliction in the state area. So when we work a case, we call a statewide terrorism network and they give us a deconfliction number and then if anybody other that deconflicts calls in that same name or location they will say hey the state police got a case going you need to call them and make sure you're not and it we call it blue on blue shooting it prevents that Hmm. so if you're going in and you got two guys trying to buy drugs and neither one works with the other and doesn't know they're undercover both undercover you could have a potential situation there so that's why we deconflict Wow, that's actually very interesting. Does that type of thing ever happen, the friendly fire type of stuff, because two guys are undercover and they're doing too good of a job and they think? Well, I'm, I'm not saying it's – I have never been in that situation. I've, none of my guys have ever been in that situation that I know of because mm-hmm. um, we deconflict, and that's the reason they brought up that system a long time ago. It's deconfliction statewide, federal-wide. It could be – just depends on how far you want to go with your case. And I I apologize for jumping around here, but we were just talking about your experience in Task Force 6 and various uh, specialty task forces, and it's dangerous work. It's serious work. It's very important. Why do you do it, though? And and maybe I'll ask this first. Do you have a family? I do. Okay. Well, (laughs) you're stepping into a dangerous position every day that you go to work. Why do you continue to do that? Let me tell you about Fairbury Furniture. Fairbury Furniture is Central Illinois' premier furniture store. This family-owned business offers a vast selection of premium furniture items from all of your favorite brands, including Sealy, Best Home Furnishings, Leather Italia, Tempur-Pedic, and Ashley, just to name a few. Right next door to their gorgeous 7,000-square-foot furniture showroom, you will also find the Fairbury Furniture Mattress Store, home to all of the latest and greatest mattresses in any and all sizes. Here at Fairbury Furniture, the staff is helpful and friendly and they're also well stocked with all of the mattresses tables chairs recliners couches rugs and decorative pillows that your heart desires make your home interior beautiful comfortable stylish and delightful when you shop at fairbury's own fairbury furniture Tri-County Carpet and Flooring in Fairbury is the premier flooring store throughout Livingston, McLean, and Ford Counties. From choosing the perfect flooring to measuring an installation, Tri-County ensures top quality products and services. 
Their trained professionals boast precise measurements, straight cuts, and perfect fits, while their showroom houses a multitude of gorgeous, top-quality, name-brand carpet and flooring options in the latest styles and colors that are durable and long-lasting. With free estimates, design consultation, and contractor and multi-room discounts, Tri-County in Fairbury is your one-stop shop for all of your home and business flooring needs. Pay them a visit at 19 Jan Lane in Fairbury, Illinois, right off of Route 24, and give them a call at 815-692-3666. Tri-County Carpet, your flooring paradise. I've done it for 26 years. I've been in some type of law enforcement situation. I just recently retired from the state police on November 1st um, to run for sheriff. I believe that the mismanagement of this current sheriff's administration is so poor that there needs to be a major change in that department. Hmm. I've discussed it with the chiefs of police in the county. I've discussed it with the county board members, the ones that you know will talk to me about it. Um, it's just... It's the drug problem has been a constant problem in Livingston County since I started uh, 20 plus years ago. It's always been a heroin county. I've never understood why. Um, methamphetamines, like I said before, due to the cartels losing billions of dollars for the uh, loss of cannabis sales, they're pushing that meth up here. It's prevalent. It used to be about eight or 16,000 a pound. Now it's down to about 8,000 a pound. And that's because it's mass produced. And it, you know, as supply and demand, you, the more you have, the cheaper it's going to be. Mm-hmm. So that's what the cartels are doing. Why Why did you even become a police officer in the first place? Why <laughs> did you decide to go into the task force despite it being so dangerous and despite the fact that you had a family? So my dad was a trooper. Okay. So it started there, and I've always respected him. Um, he was 26, 27 years as a state police officer. He was always just a road trooper. He never wanted to be promoted or anything like that. He did his job, and he liked doing it, and I've always respected that. Um, I've always hung around with police officers, obviously, because even as a kid, police always hung seemed to hang around with other police, and their kids hung around t- together. That A um, couple of guys, I grew up in Streeter, a couple of the guys that their dads were police officers, their troopers are above, they're in the state police also. And they're still working. They got a couple more years left because I'm older. <laughs> but uh, so that's where it started. I went to school at Western and got a bachelor's degree in law enforcement administration. I've never probably, I don't think I've ever wanted to do anything else other than that, that I can remember. I've been doing it for so long. Mm-hmm. And you just care about the general well-being of the people in this area then? I don't like people being taken advantage of by other people. I, Whether it be crime, whether it be the drug situation, I'm a very big proponent against drugs obviously mm-hmm. um i had surgery recently they gave me painkillers i took them for one day and that's it i just i think drugs are just bad in general why why do you think that just the i've seen it destroy lives in my entire life i've seen people i grew up in and in streeter like i said and it's it's a drug community it has been a drug community i've watched it destroy other people's lives in high school and it's always been one of my things that i've been against so let's talk about why you're running for sheriff. You said you're you're basically fed up with a few things that are going on in the sheriff's office right now. Could you tell us, for the sake of informing the audience, the very people that could be voting for you or voting against you, mm-hmm. tell us what are the issues that are driving you to run? 
So the lack of cooperation at the proactive unit was the start of my approximately two, three years ago when I, when I, me and the sheriff had that conversation. And as I watched the community and talked to other people within the community, the drug issue was my main start of why I'm running for sheriff. But then when I started looking into the department itself, and there's always rumors about bad police and stuff like that. There's no transparency whatsoever. There's no accountability whatsoever. There's no fiscal responsibility to a certain case that just popped up last month when I was at the county board meeting about a 350000 potential overrun on the budget for medical supplies for the jail or medical care for the jail. And it was signed by the then superintendent, which he had no authority to sign by their own county mandates, but he was signing contracts and they got, they're going to be on the hook. The taxpayers are going to be on the hook for, they estimate 350 The final figures haven't been brought in yet. Hmm. Okay, so they spent $350,000 over their budget. They got billed approximately is what they're estimating it'll be. So the end of the year, fiscal year for the county was December 1st. And the final quarter for that year hasn't been submitted to them yet from the old medical. Um, I'm not sure what it was called. I never did hear a name. But they they have a, a contract for medical personnel inside the jail. I believe it's 24-7 coverage. And they sign it, and it's an annual contract. And they provide basic uh, health care for inmates. The contract was supposedly, so, and I haven't seen the contract, supposedly so poorly written that the company itself could back charge for additional stuff. Like they were short, the way I understood it, they were short a nurse. They'd fly in a nurse from Tennessee, pay for her lodging to be here for that week. They're travel nurses because we're short nurses. And the county sheriff's department is on the hook for all that. And that's the back. So after it happens, that's when they bill it. They're supposed to bill it every quarter. The superintendent who just retired supposedly was sitting on the last couple quarters, and they didn't know this bill was sitting there. Okay, so yeah, just basic financial uh, lack of responsibility. Yes. Okay. So the the sheriff is responsible for the jail. The sheriff, the superintendent of the jail controls the jail and the people under him, his lieutenant, her lieutenant, whatever, and the correctional officers. But that person, the superintendent, reports to the deputy chief, it was the second in command and the sheriff. And if you're not there and you don't care about the jail and how it's ran and the fiscal mismanagement of it, then you just let them do whatever they want. And that's what kind of what happened. Okay. And so if you run up a bill in the sheriff's office, how do you pay for it? And why should the people in the area care? So the sheriff's budget comes from the county board and the property taxes and all the income, that, however the county gets their income. So even if you're elected official, you still have to fiscally manage your money. So every year, the, each department, whether it be the highway department for the county or the sheriff's department, submits their budget to the county board. And this just got completed for the follow this upcoming year, which started December 1st. And they can haggle back and forth about why the sheriff needs this. But some stuff obviously is set in stone. Deputy salaries, they're going to know what they make. And then you'll have an overtime budget. And if you don't use your overtime budget, you can kick it back to the at the end of the year. But you can estimate each section of your budget for the variables of the budget. So this health care contract was a set. This is what it's going to be per month for the basic coverage. But then at the end of each quarter, if we have extra stuff, we, we have the right to bill you later, which 
you, everybody should have that contract. I understand there's emergencies where they got to take them to the hospital, the inmate to the hospital, let's say. Um, so they build this, but it was the way the contractor was written from my understanding, it was poorly written for the sheriff's department. So they could bill them for every little thing, which probably should have been covered under the basic program. I see. Okay, so Livingston County Board, I know a little bit about them because I've had Seth Welch, who is a member of the Livingston County mm-hmm. Board. Uh, and basically, yeah, their whole job is to determine where the taxpayer's money goes. Correct. And so a larger chunk is going to have to go towards this thing that the sheriff's office has. 350000 is no small sum. No. That's most likely going to have to go towards that. And that's 350000 less dollars that go, could go towards things that the community actually wants to see funded, correct? Could. Yes, that's correct. It could. Mm-hmm. Well, because so, they have a finite budget, right? And they have to spread that out however they need to. And they have to pay for the, the sheriff's office thing. Yes. So they literally could not pay for like, hey, we were going to build a park and fund the building of this park that everyone wanted. That was $350,000. But uh, now we can't. Could it be? Could something like that happen? That could happen. I mean, I'm sure the county budget or the county board has a surplus fund somewhere for emergencies like that. And that's probably where they're going to pull this money from. But again, that's still taxpayer money that's in that surplus fund that mm. could have went towards a capital improvement, like you said, a park or uh, uptown at the courthouse. The okay. old they have the historic courthouse. It could have went to something for that, or it could have went to the uh, a grant to the Boys and Girls Club of the county. Could the fact that I had no idea about any of this going on be be part of the issue of transparency that you've spoken about before? Like, do you think that the people of the area should know about that financial mismanagement or financial management in general on the sheriff's at the sheriff's office? I do. I believe so. The county board meeting itself is videotaped and posted every month, and I believe it's next Thursday for this month. And they should be talking about this three hundred fifty thousand at that time. Now, if if you can watch it live, from what I understand, from your home, or you can show up, and I've shown up since I've been running to every one of those. Uh, they also have committee meetings that are happen the week before the county board meeting, and there's a committee called the Sheriff, Jail, and License Committee where they talk about these subjects. They vote on what they want to bring up at the actual board meeting. They call them action items, and it's budgets. It's just depending on what's going on during that month. Mm-hmm. This was talked about last month, and then there's a finance committee. It was talked about in that because they handle the money, and then there's administration. So every committee chairman goes to the administration committee and then they talk about it beforehand. This is not, and the only reason it was recorded this week is because Zoom, there was a COVID spike. So they started Zoom and meeting so people didn't have to show. Mm. But usually these committee meetings aren't videotaped. So you got to go, it's open meeting, but you have to go and actually listen to it. That's where the, the meat and potatoes of the county happens is at mm. the committee meetings. And a lot of people don't know that. Okay. Well, okay. So they're not usually videotaped, you said. Not usually. They were recorded this time because of Zoom. Right. Man. Well, I think they need a little production value uh, going into some of those. I could help with the, I could help with that if they wanted. You want it live live feed of that? Uh, hook up some microphones, HD. Yeah. I'm your man. They have, a, <laughs> they have a system set up already, and it's all microphone. They have a tech guy, and from what I've seen so far, he's pretty good at it. Oh, okay. Um, no offense to that guy then. Sorry. It's just that they don't seem to want to videotape them and put them out there, and oh, I don't understand weird. why. because. That's the reason for FOIA, which is the Freedom of Information Act. That's the reason for the Open Meetings Act. And 
I believe the sheriff's and the sheriff's department is responsible for the same stuff. And I've FOIA'd stuff from him and I've been denied and I've went through the process and it's just he his administration, him and his chief deputy just don't want to give me the information that should be open to the public. Everybody should be able to get this information. Why do you not think that they want to give you that information? I truly don't know. If there's nothing wrong, why hide it? Yeah. Oh, gosh, yeah. That's, I mean, simple fact of life. Yep. If you hide stuff, people will get suspicious, even if it's even if it's uh, good stuff that you're hiding. Like, yeah. It, yeah. It, it, and you're in the position of the sheriff. You definitely should be extremely transparent because you your sole purpose is to serve the people. Like, Correct. they should know everything you're doing. So Correct, how, especially how, with taxpayer money. Right, exactly. What are you going to do differently if you are elected sheriff then? I'm not going to hide behind the exemptions of FOIA. If someone wants to come in and look at my budget and where it goes, I will have every receipt. They don't even have receipts for some of their stuff of how they expended their money on the sheriff's side. Just okay. yesterday, I had an, they have a FOIA officer, and it's not a deputy. It's just a, they call it a FOIA officer. To be a FOIA officer, you have to go through a certain amount of training um, because it's a state law, and you got to know what you can release. And So FOIA is 5 ILCS 140. It's the entire FOIA Act. And then there's a Section 7, and that's where the exemptions that you don't release. And exemptions are needed on certain cases. So if you wanted to get a police report, they'll redact all the information out. But if you want to get an active police report, like I'm investigating a homicide and I don't want you to know about it yet, it falls under a pending investigation. And I have to justify that. I have to say why me releasing my investigation so far would influence my investigation, whether it would give up a suspect's name, whether it would, you know, undo influence on something. And I have to justify that in my denial and my exemption. They don't do that. They just recite the exemption to me and that's it. That's annoying. <laughs> yeah. And I've went to the attorney general's office. I got a letter just the other day back from him that they said that it's an opinion. It's not binding is what they call it. Saying that you should give uh, Vygasky the information he's requesting. It's your responsibility to do it. And they're saying they don't have it. <laughs> Right. And I know that, and you, you told me this, I just want to put this on the record, that you do not want to talk poorly about the current sheriff, uh, who is Tony Childress. You don't want to talk negative about him. You don't want to do any mudslinging. But I do want to ask just one question, because everyone in the area has probably seen this video that's, it probably has a million views right now on YouTube, um, of him at the southern border speaking with some a sheriff maybe from Arizona, I think, I'm not sure. And it was an interesting, like, couple-minute spiel, I guess, but mm -hmm. it was odd that, you know, the sheriff from Livingston County, Illinois, was on Fox at the southern border with a guy from Arizona. Anyway, you have some thoughts and opinions about that whole thing in general. What, what are they? So the sheriff should be in his county, enforcing the laws of his county and protecting his citizens. Sheriff Childress is claiming that the immigration problem and the drug trafficking problem at the border for lack of security is affecting Livingston County. In the long term, yes, that's where majority of our drugs come from is the southern border. But the mules that he's talking about and the human traffickers that he's talking about are not stopping at Pontiac along Interstate 55 and dropping off 20 kilos of cocaine or heroin or whatever. They're driving to the bigger cities. That's where the cocaine comes from. So instead of concentrating on the border, he needs to concentrate on the people that are bringing the drugs into the county, the high-level drug dealers that I talked about that we try to work our way up, mm -hmm. or the people that are coming from Chicago 
because of a phone call and bringing the drugs back down to the county. And it's Chicago, it's Champaign for Livingston County, and very little comes from Bloomington, but some does come from Bloomington because they're just bigger cities, there's more drugs. Mm -hmm. And I know that this is a multifaceted, very complex issue, the issue of drugs and narcotics specifically uh, being illegally trafficked and sold and distributed throughout central Illinois and Livingston County in particular, especially heroin, like you said. What are you going to do to try to tackle that issue or at least improve the numbers as they stand right now in Livingston County? When you're sheriff, you said you care an awful lot about that issue. How? How are you even going to begin to tackle that? So as I started on the Illinois State Police side, I will try to get back into Task Force 6. So Mm -hmm. the reason of a task force is it's called a force multiplier. I give up one guy. Dwight gives up one guy. Pontiac gives up one guy. And I get 10 guys back. So when they do their drug case in Livingston County, I don't have to deal with it as sheriff. These guys are professionals. They're well-trained. They're well-funded. And that's the way to do it. Uh, there's a proactive unit now, but the city police off- or city chiefs all pulled out of it uh, sometime during the summer because of ethical issues is what I was told. Uh, the ch- chief deputy tried to say it was because of personnel issues from the city. I talked to the chiefs two of the three chiefs, it's not a personnel issue. It was an ethical issue. And that's all they would, they're not going to talk ill either, but that's the reason they pulled out because of ethical issues that were discussed. So they were saying there were ethical issues within task force six, which is basically like SEAL team six of, of the area that proactive, the County proactive unit. So they had their own task force. They called it proactive and it was three sheriffs, a sheriff's supervisor and two deputies and then each city had one officer, the three main cities in Livingston County. The three main cities pulled out this summer and said, and I was told it was because of an ethical issue with the sheriff's department. Okay. I apologize for my slight confusion. So <laughs> That's right. there's Task Force 6 encompasses like three different counties, Correct. right? And Livingston is not one of them anymore. It used to be. Okay. I want to say 20 years ago, but I'm not sure on the date they pulled out. 20 years ago, uh, Childress wasn't sheriff then, was he? No, he was a deputy, and he was actually an inspector in Task Force 6, and so was his chief deputy after him. Okay, and the reason that they're not back in Task Force 6, they kind of have their own little thing is what you're, you're saying, Their own right? little task force, yes. Okay, but you think Task Force 6 could, be, could do a lot better? It'd be a better investment? I know they could. I, I have wholeheartedly believe that if you're going to— all the money—so the county board gives— Sheriff's Department, $150,000 approximately mm-hmm. extra to have the proactive unit and have three guys from their department, two or three guys, their supervisor and two deputies. And from what I've been told, and somewhere between January and July of this 2021, they didn't have anybody but the supervisor in there from from the county department. They, the city guys were in there working, and they were doing the majority of the work, mm-hmm. but no county deputies were assigned at that point. Okay, so where's that that money going then? I don't know. Strange. That's interesting. I I, I would assume the county board get it back, but I don't know. Okay. It's it's hard to get records from this department. (laughs) Sure, and yeah, before we even start, you know, speculating negative things and putting it out there, we'll assume the best that it goes back to the county board. I'm hoping. Right. And so, would you you'd get back in Task Force Six then, if you were if if you wanted to tackle the drug issue in Livingston County while you're sheriff, you'd get back in Task Force Six. Is is one of the big things you do? 
So right before I retired and the city chiefs pulled out, I was the acting lieutenant for the narcotics area in this area. And they, a couple of them approached me about joining Task Force 6 without the sheriff's department. So I went up my chain of command. And at that time, we just didn't have the personnel to expand and, and have assign another sergeant and another agent because um, we're pulled elsewhere. Obviously, it's a our zone covers all the way to Danville, down to Mantoon, all the way to Decatur. It's a huge central east area of Illinois. Mm-hmm. And we just didn't have the manpower to properly set that up to expand up into Livingston County for those three cities. So if they, hopefully by the time this race is done and I win, I will call the captain at the time and I will try to organize to get back in. If that doesn't work in the short term, I will try to revamp the proactive unit and start my own with the ethics that are needed that the chiefs have complained about. And I'm good friends with one chief and he knows I actually asked him if he was going to run for sheriff because I would have supported him if he was going to run instead of me running. Are you allowed to say who that was? Not at the time. Okay. All right. That's perfectly fine. <laughs> he retires say, next March. <laughs> okay. I've talked to a chief of police on, on this show before, so I was wondering if it was him. We're getting towards the end of this thing. I just want to let people know when and where they can vote and how they can learn more about you, where they can support you at. So let's start there. How can people learn more and support you? So due to the issues of redistricting in Illinois... Uh, the vote, the primary vote for the Republican Party is June 28th of 2022. They moved it from the March, normal March primaries because the redistricting is being fought in court. Um, I encourage everybody to come out and vote. Even if you don't vote for me, I encourage everybody to come out and vote. Register to vote. Early voting, I'm told, starts in May if you want to mail it in because of vacation plans in June. And as far as more information for me, I have a Facebook page. It's Vigaski for the number four sheriff at facebook and i also have vigaski for sheriff at gmail.com if you want to email me any questions i'll answer them if i can i'm not afraid to broach any topic all right that's evident yeah you haven't steered away from any topics on this and it's been very refreshing <laughs> it's always sketchy when someone's like oh no, no i don't want to talk about that you're an open book you're a transparent guy and yep. this has been a wonderful conversation tom so thank you very much accountability and ethics yes absolutely Tom Vagaski, thanks so much for coming on today. Thanks for having me. My pleasure.